Hi, my name is Laura. I'm an emergency room nurse, and you're listening to the Let's Chat Healthcare podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Roel. He's a case manager in the emergency room. Roel is amazing. In this episode, he openly shares his experience working in the emergency room and opportunities that he has seen that are out there for change and growth. It was really interesting to hear about his experience as a patient in the emergency room and his experience dealing with insurance as a healthcare worker himself. Roel was so fun to chat with, and he has such a great sense of humor. And with that, he also has a lot of important things to say, and he says them in like the most perfect way. I need to have him on again ASAP because we opened a lot of Pandora boxes with our chat about the emergency room and probably even more with our chat about insurance, everyone's favorite thing. Don't forget to press the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are released, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Here's Roel to chat with us about the emergency room and also where to start when dealing with insurance. Hi, Roel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Laura. I just really wanted to say that I'm really thankful that you took the time to do this, especially while you have so much going on. I mean, just with the pandemic and I saw that you just started grad school, so you have a lot going on. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for thinking about me as part of your show, and I can't wait to chat about it. Yeah, I'm excited. I feel excited to talk to you today because um, you're a case manager, and I feel like that's a role that not a lot of people know about or know what being a case manager consists of. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. (laughs) Yeah. People still don't know. (laughs) Even people I work with don't know. (laughs) I, I agree. I mean, I feel like I don't know the ins and outs of it, and I work with case managers all the time. So can you kind of tell us like what a case manager does and how you got into that role? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing that we have to think about the case manager's role has blossomed in the last 10 years, uh, especially with Affordable Care Act. Mm. And when we shifted towards more uh, away from uh, doctors who are, you know, being getting paid for taking care of the patient, like, you know, so into more of a managed care system. So when you're managing care, the name kind of says it already that somebody needs to manage the care. And that's when case manager's role has uh, become more identified as a needed profession in nursing. As a case manager, I think there are so many types of case managers, either in the hospital or in the insurance side or in the outpatient clinic, nursing home, all that types of facilities. Uh, my background is in hospital case management. And uh, so as a hospital case manager, we are responsible for coordinating the care for the patient. I always think that it's kind of like playing football where you're the quarterback and you're kind of like, you know, trying to organize the play, you know, mm. while you're in the game. And and so that's that's how I always thought of what case management is. And because uh, we work with so many people, different uh, background doctors, nurses, uh, therapists, dietitians, social workers, and psychologists, and all that. Uh, and just to make sure that the patient get the best care at, at the timely manner and in the right setting. And those are the really important part of case management that I want to emphasize. With all the things that you're talking about with insurance, I feel like they should require not only a nurse degree, but like a bachelor's of nursing degree, but also a communications major. (laughs) Uh, Communication is such 
an important thing that oh my god, I wish that we spend more time in nursing as well. Because mm-hmm, me too, me too. Therapeutic communication is not something that is emphasized in nursing uh, school. Especially in the emergency department, I feel Especially like. in the emergency department, yeah. <laughs> I love my emergency department, but therapeutic com- communication is not our forte. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and I understand that we have a very short amount of time to impact on someone's care in emergency department. So we tend to be very much task-oriented, you know, quick to the point and that kind of stuff so we can move on to the next task. Mm-hmm. I mean, but taking that time to actually talk to people and, and explaining the whole process, explaining the reason why and that kind of stuff. And so my if I look at my tally, if like, like you know, we do like productivity sheet at the end of the day, our shift and kind of justify why we need case managers in the emergency mm-hmm. department, my numbers may be low, but I feel like the quality of service is higher because I do take mm-hmm. that time to speak to people, speak to the patient, speak to the family and explain what's going on as opposed to just saying, oh, yeah, well, we're not contracted with your with your insurance, so you got to go. Yeah. And I feel like, especially in the emergency department, it's hard because a lot of the emergency department is judged based on the numbers. And Uh that's kind of another reason why we're so task oriented is because we're totally judged by the numbers. So I think that's really important that you take the time to talk to the patient about that, because Mm -hmm. I think that's such a huge part. And I think as a patient, that's that's really amazing that you do take the time to do that because I know as a patient, I would appreciate it because I would have no idea what's going on. Yeah, the little things that like people don't realize. And I didn't realize that until I started doing this this reviews, uh, you know, to justify if a patient needs to be admitted or not. And so I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, so that makes the big difference right there. That's crazy. Well, okay, so since you work in the emergency department, I know you've given a lot of examples of things that you do. Can you kind of give me the top like two or three most common situations that you run into, like the most common patients or whatever that you deal with? Yeah, I think in regards to patients and family, I think the part that I, I the the top issue that I encounter uh, or I, I hate to say issue, but it, it's it it is um, situation is insurance. <laughs> <laughs> so so insurance to me is that I think I mean it is it is so convoluted, and people don't know what they sign up for. I mean, if we see the fine prints on those insurance, who takes the time to read the insurance mm-hmm. that they signed up for? Um. And even the phrase you signed up for is such a difficult thing to explain to family. Yeah. And so, especially when they have Medicaid, um, you know, uh, I think that's where I find a lot, that's where I spent most of my time. And that's kind of my bread and butter currently is that like working with patients and families and talking about their insurance and why we are doing certain things. So for example, uh, patients, who have HMO, when you sign up for HMO, I'm not sure, you know, when you sign up for HMO, when you're signing up, they ask you to choose a doctor. And that process right there, it seems so easy for you to do as a patient, but you don't understand the repercussions of like what you signed up for. 
that doctor belongs to a medical group. Mm. That medical group is getting paid by the insurance to take care of you. They are given, sometimes they are given a certain amount of money already to take care of you every year. And so they have this financial or fiscal um, motives to do certain things. And one of them is contracting to hospitals. So they are now contracted to a certain hospitals only. And so when you show up in the emergency department and you're saying, I have an insurance, why can't you keep me? Why can't you take me? Well, because you signed up with a doctor who is assigned to a, a, uh, to a medical group who is only contracted to that hospital. So they've already gotten paid to take care of you at that hospital. Mm -hmm. So, and, and if they keep you to our hospital, if we are out of network or non-contracted hospital, that means they're taking money out of that prepaid money that they got from the insurance to take care of you to pay us. So it is to their benefit to bring you back to their hospital and, and take care of you from there. And, Unfortunately, you signed up for that when you elected to get that doctor. So I feel like something that could help patients make their even just their emergency department stay go a lot smoother is to like is to be more aware of their insurance, who their provider is or like what medical group they're a part yeah, of. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of the times people would go into the websites, you know, you they go to uh, the hospital website, and it's they list there who they're contracted with. Um, those are not accurate. Those are never accurate. Oh, really? No. Yeah, because the 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 system is so convoluted, and there's so many things in, included in you know that people don't realize. That is just a general term, and that's just really a marketing tool on a insurance on the hospital side to show why, you know, who they're contracted with. But it's not necessarily true when it comes to what your plan is. So so where do you recommend they find that information? They really have to go to their plan, but they really need to. But even um, even when you go to the plan, you actually have to do a second step and you actually do call, call you know, your your doctors as well, if that's still true or not. So for example, um, when that whole thing happened where I lost my primary care, so I had to elect a new primary care physician. So I was shopping through the website uh, for a doctor. And so, you know, I want this kind of doctor who specializes in this kind of things and who speaks this kind of language and all that stuff. And on their website, you know, and I also put down which medical group I want to I want to belong to. And so when I finally saw a doctor, I'm like, oh, I like this doctor. I'll, I'll, I'm like, you know, I, I did some research. I actually like even Googled him. I Googled like what school he went to and, you know, where has he worked and all that stuff. I did my due diligence. And then when I called, so I called the um, the doctor's clinic to find out if they're taking new patients. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're not we don't belong to that medical group. We belong to a different medical group, even oh though gosh. I specified on the insurance side, that medical group. So the insurance so, sites aren't always accurate either. You should call. Aren't, aren't always accurate either. So you have to find out. I have to call and do your own due diligence as well. So, And this is the reason why I have a job. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's so hard. And all these little things that people don't know and don't realize that it just, that it created this position where I have to explain to people why why things are happening. My job is definitely not the easiest, Mm -mm. not the most, um, it's not the one that you get thank you for <laughs> when there's a case manager involved especially in emergency department it means it's not a good thing yeah so i feel like even the fact that you deal with insurance so often everyone knows how frustrating insurance is so i feel like that's a huge stressful part just in itself having to deal with insurance yeah absolutely and the things that they don't know oh the other thing that i have to emphasize when you call the insurance the first people you talk to, they're not experts. <laughs> and so when they tell you that, yeah, you can go to that hospital because they're part of our, they're contracted with us, they don't know your plan. Oh my gosh. It goes back to <laughs> your plan. And so they just know that they have a contract with your with that hospital. It's, it's, it's listed. They look at this list of contracted hospital, but all contracts are based on plans. And so I have this conversation again with patients and family, <laughs> why they are lying to you. Uh, I, I, I'm i like, I hate to say it, but there's so many times that I'm like, I feel like they think that I'm lying because I'm like, dude, they got, you got the wrong information. I feel like I definitely don't blame patients at all for not knowing who, what medical group they're a part of just because of all the false information that's out there. <laughs> There's so much false information out there. So much. you. Uh, I mean, we. it's all about the bottom line, right? So we're hiring people for, you know, certain, to do certain tasks and, you know, and, and people need jobs and stuff like that. Some of the, sometimes the, like this, I hate to say it, but like some of this lower level positions, you know, people are not vested in their jobs sometimes, so they just do whatever it takes in order to do what they do. And and they're being bombarded with things that, you know, um, you know, patients and family yelling at them and stuff. So they will just say the things that so that they know that would they want to hear and mm-hmm. so that they can go back and like, see, they told me that uh, you're contracted. So so why are you doing that? You know. <laughs> so if the first person you call doesn't know, then should you ask for someone specifically or what should you do? Absolutely. I would go beyond that. So I always to, go beyond should that. Should you ask to talk to someone specifically? I would, I, I, you know, I don't know what's the best way to, to, to ask specifically who is mostly in my, because where I, you know, the time that I work, I work in after hours, they don't have the full staff to answer those questions. So they're, you know, and, and that's where the issue is, is that like, you know, you're calling in on this after hours staff who are there just to take messages for the most part. And Mm -hmm. so even though they said they have 24-7 customer service. They don't. The people (laughs) who are working there are not the 24-7 experts. So a lot of the times they just have to take down some information. And then the, the response that I get a lot is that, oh, we have to call you back during business hours. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. So you deal so much with insurance. Can you give me a scenario when someone comes in that isn't insured and how that process goes? Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's, like what I said earlier, it's all about the bottom line, right? It's all about the money. Hospitals are 
I hate to say it, we're nurses. We signed up to become a nurse because, you know, we want to care. We want to provide care for people. We want to help people. But when you work in, you know, but we are employed by a company. And so, and companies mm-hmm. are there, you know, for profit, even though mm-hmm. they're non-for-profit, even if they say they're non-for-profit. You know, it is still the bottom line. In order for us to have a job, in order for the hospital to continue, you know, providing care, you know, we have to meet the bottom line, right? So having said that, when people are uninsured, first of all, there is a, what's called the MTALA law, you know, the, the uh, gosh, I can't remember what the MTALA means. So, <laughs> Me neither, so but I know it, it just means you can't tell anybody to go away. <laughs> Exactly. So that's important to know for anybody who needs care, you go to the ER, they can't turn you down, even if you don't have an insurance. So uh, if you really need the care, but on the other hand, it doesn't mean release you from any financial responsibility. Mm-hmm. You still will get a bill from the hospital, but we're required to give you a care. Um, when people do not have the money, or do not have the insurance, the hospital is not stupid. They know that they're not going to get money from you. There's so many people out there who just go and says like, yeah, just bill me, and they never pay for it because they don't care about their credit. Mm-hmm. The hospital itself is, you know, wants to make sure that they get something out of every patient. And so a lot of the times is that when patient gets admitted, um, when they need uh, when they don't have insurance hospitals invest on making sure that you get um that you get insurance so for example signing you up with medicaid so they have people who would screen you and see if you would qualify for medicaid mm-hmm. and most of the time if you can't afford to take, or if you don't have an insurance or if you can't afford insurance you most likely will qualify for medicaid and they'll sign you up right there and they will sign you up right there oh, wow. if you get admitted. Because with Medicaid, first of all, Medicaid is um, uh, is can be a retroactive payment, which means that even if you're not, um, you don't have the Medicaid at the time that you went to the hospital, uh, when you get approved, Medicaid can uh, the hospital can still request for retroactive payment from that previous. Um, visit. Oh, I was going to ask about that. Okay. So Medicaid will pay for like a previous visit that you did if you qualify yeah. for it. Okay. Yeah. I feel like as a bedside nurse, a quote unquote regular nurse, I feel like people ask me about insurance all the time and we don't really deal with insurance because you are there. So yeah, well, most case managers, though, we do have license as an, as an RN or LVN. We are not directly part of the nursing department. Mm-hmm. We are actually part of the finance department in most hospitals. Oh, that's interesting. I feel like your role is really important to help communication between the patient and the healthcare system. So, like being the middleman in between insurance or the patient, which I'm sure is frustrating, but 
knowing when you're healthy, which hospitals are in network. So when you have an emergency, you know yeah, where to go. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, like we were saying, no one's going to turn you away. But if you know where the best place to go is when you're having an emergency, I mean, obviously, you're not going to call insurance if you're having an mm-hmm. emergency, but it's good to know yeah. beforehand. And, and look at your plan. Look at your plan and look at what's in network versus out of network. So you could actually, mm-hmm. so they actually, uh, what's called the um, explanation of benefit, EOB. So whenever you get an EOB from your insurance, it tells you what your benefits are. And um, and it tells you what they would cover and what they would not cover. And they would actually show you what is, um, you know, what is the difference cost-wise for inpatient, uh, for in-network versus out-of-network. And you, I mean, your co-pays could be different when you go to emergency department with an in-network versus out-of-network. Mm. That's good to know. Oh, well, I feel like there's so much I to know like about I feel like we could have and... like a 20 series things about insurance. So <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for parts two through 19. <laughs> Well, I guess I'll have to have you back on again, but I would like to talk a little bit more about how it's been working through COVID because you work in Mm -hmm. Los Angeles and Los Angeles is one of the places that's been Mm -hmm. hit hard. So, I mean, can you kind of talk about how I want to talk about how it's affected your practice, but also you personally? Yeah, because I know you're staying in a hotel right now and it's hard to see your family. right? Yeah, absolutely. So I have elected to stay at a hotel so that, you know, just to I have family members that live with me. I have my mom that lives with me and, you know, I have my sister and my niece and uh, nieces and nephew that are living with me as well and and i just don't want to take that home and so um, the the mm-hmm. the lowest risk possible is definitely st- you know to live in a hotel for now and and uh work and and go to work i mean that's a sacrifice in itself to not be able to be by family but also to just not be able to be at home and to be able to to leave your work environment and be able to relax at home, but you have to go to a place that's not necessarily familiar. On a personal note, uh, an hour ago, I made myself one of my favorite soup, a green chili soup. <laughs> and I'm working in, a, I'm living in a hotel right now that has a little bit of a kitchen and not even having the spices that I need to make my soup. I was just like, oh, so sad. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Oh, that is I didn't sad. Realize that. I mean, little things like that that help you de-stress from such a stressful job. That that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was just like, oh my god, I don't have any flour in this hotel. It's like I didn't get flour to to thicken my soup. And I'm like, ugh. So I was like, Aww. yeah, just the little things like that that you know that you take for granted. I guess that you don't realize until you're in this situation. Hmm. It it's definitely has affected my workflow. Um, it the pressure has been added so much as a as an ED case manager who works a lot in what's called repatriation, and that's when we transfer patients from one hospital to another. Mm. I it's been difficult. I haven't been able to transfer anybody because all hospitals are full. So we end up mm. taking care of all of this out of network patients, which. Gosh, I don't know what's going to happen once the pandemic is over. What are the financial repercussions, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, with with being 
admitted to an out of network. Uh, this is unprecedented, and we don't know what's what's going to happen, you know, with our current system to patients and family. Um, it's definitely been stressful in that sense. Um, the the conversations more and more with the doctors asking, do we really need to admit this patient? All these patients and families who are coming to the ER that are non-COVID related or things that are using ER as a primary care versus emergency care, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things that are like, I, I understand you, you sprained your ankle. Like it hurts so bad. Um, you don't need to be in an ER. But you'll, you'll live. live you you'll, you enough. will live. I promise <laughs> you will. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because in reality is what when you go to, and I, I this happens to me too, you know, when the first time I had an, a pain, I had a gout attack and gout runs in my family. And, and it was the most painful thing. And I went to the ER and I'm like thinking after I got, you know, I got through with what they did to the ER. I'm like, I could have done this at home. I cannot believe my insurance paid this <laughs> ER this much just for stuff that I could have done at home. I could have rehydrated myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have taken ibuprofen. I could have taken <laughs> and, and granted, gut attack is very, very painful. Don't get me wrong. It is very difficult. And I think at that point I did get some narcotics, but it definitely um, – you know, so you've been having to like use more discretion deciding who gets admitted and who goes home. Unfortunately, yeah, and we're having these conversations with doctors, and of course, like you know, like you and I were talking about how liabilities, doctors are liable, and sometimes it's like a gray area, or sometimes it's just like like do this as an outpatient versus, you know, admission. So, and I get it, it from their side too because if they were asked like, why didn't you admit the patient? And they say the hospital is full. Like, is that a legitimate uh, excuse? Yeah, and you know, and that's the thing with the pandemic is that we're, we're we are being we're faced with issues that you know that we never had to deal with before, and with the bed capacity being so low to almost zero now, and this happened in Italy, this happened in New York, you know, and I'm hoping that we don't get to this point is that I, I would, I am so fearful and I'm so stressed and scared if we get to the point where we're making decisions on who gets the care or not, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, so this happened, I, I, I mean, I was watching, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, the Italian doctors where they are having I don't know how often this ethics committee that they have created basically trying to figure out like who gets intubated and who's not because we don't have enough in, uh, you know, vents. And it's hard with that and tell a law that we talked about where you can't turn anybody away. Yeah, absolutely. So as an emergency department, you don't have beds, but also you can't turn anybody away. So you're kind of stuck with all these patients. Yeah. And, and, and I think patients and family listening to this, (laughs) 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 we do have this thing called acuity screening and when you show up in the er you are graded by acuity which means that if we if you show up in the er and we rushed you in to the bed that means bad sign (laughs) that's a bad sign but if you are in the er and you waited for six or eight hours in the waiting room 
that means your acuity is low. Mm-hmm. And it also could mean that you may be able to benefit from an urgent care versus an ER. Mm-hmm. You know, ER, you have to remember, is emergent. Emergent meaning life or limb uh, or people who are, you know, that there is, you know, life or death situation. Um, anything that may be re- re- like uh, for pains, uh, urgent care can screen a lot of that. Urgent care is also capable of sending people to the emergency department when it's something that they cannot handle. So do like if you go to urgent care, they might say, oh, you need to go to the ER or they'll tell you, oh, you're fine. Yes. To wait until the next day yes. to go see your primary. Absolutely. Doctor. Absolutely. We get a lot of patients uh, in the ED from the urgent care because they know what they're capable of. They and they also know what they're liable for. And so they will send patients to the ED when it's no longer within their scope of practice. Maybe we should start going to urgent care first. <laughs> Yeah, there might be something wrong with you, but it's not an emergency. So you need to see your primary doctor. I mean, I've told people that and I've sent people home knowing that there might be something that they still need to follow up with. It's just not an emergency. And that's the I think that brings up another point that the emergency hospital, emergency department is not the whole hospital. Yeah. We are not full care. Our job is to stabilize a patient so that they can move forward to the next level of care, either home or inpatient. Our job is to basically make sure that you're not going to die. And if you're going to survive, yes. you either go home or you get admitted. Absolutely. So, you know, so we stabilize you so that we can go move forward to the next level. So either lower or higher level, but that's what we do. And so that's, and that's the part that's, you know, it's hard to explain to family and patients. Is there, well, I'm here in the ER. Why can't take care of it now? And I'm like, we're not primary care. We're ER. And that's a question. That's a, con- that's a conversation that is so hard to explain with fa- patients and family, because I know you're in pain and you want to be taken care of. And, but sometimes pain is also a barrier to receptive uh, communication. Mm-hmm. It's just like they don't hear what you're trying to say. So uh, it's a. I mean, with your health, it's better to be safe than sorry. So if you're debating it, you should go. But absolutely, absolutely. Just but try I, to understand if they tell you that it's not an emergency. Yeah, but I think it's something that we need to further educate our in the community is the mm-hmm. different types of care available. When is it appropriate? Like we kind of touch on it. When is it appropriate for you to go to the doctor? When is it appropriate for you to go to urgent care? When is it appropriate for you to go to emergency care? Yeah, that's that's really good advice. I I think it's hard because a lot of people don't necessarily know what urgent cares are capable of. But, uh-huh. I mean, they'll tell you what they're capable of. And if they yes. can't take care of you, they'll tell you where to go. They're, it's kind of a good place to go if you're not sure. Absolutely. And then, so, then that, as opposed to you walking into the ER and having to wait in that lobby for hours, may if you're going to the urgent care, they've done all the full assessments for you already. And they sent to us and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that, they definitely need to be admitted. Yeah, so that's another benefit is you might have already had some blood drawn or some t- some type of test done where, yeah, this is an emergency. And also that also goes back to like you got to know who are the urgent care that's within your plan as well. It all comes down to insurance and go- knowing your insurance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately knowing what your insurance 
please, please, please do more research about your insurance. <laughs> yeah, I feel like after this, I want to go look up my insurance to know more about it. <laughs> wow. Well, I feel like all this was such great information and you gave us some really awesome tips, both as healthcare professionals, but also as patients to kind of help our stay go smoother. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, sorry. I think we got sidetracked a little bit about the whole COVID stuff and went back to insurance. I'm sorry. I feel like so. <laughs> no, <that's fine. laughs> I mean, I think it's that's why I think with the pandemic, it heightens the need to evaluate what our health system is. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I do anticipate that at some point, um, after the whole pandemic, there will be some kind of a revamp on our health system. I don't anticipate that we can do what we're doing. It's not sustainable. Um, you know, we. I are... feel like, I mean, that's kind of why I started this, because I feel like there's no platform for patients to get more informed or for healthcare professionals and patients to communicate with each other and talk about, like, the best way to handle your care. I mean... It's, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything, but I don't think that is the goal of any insurance is for the patients to know. So this is definitely helpful. Yeah. You know, I think it's, uh, you know. I mean, it's purposely, I feel like the same with retirement. Like it's purposely yeah. confusing. <laughs> purposely confusing so that you don't, you know, it's, we are a capitalistic economy and every, you know, companies and Major companies, big firms will nickel and dime us for every little. Because just imagine if you have 100,000 subscribers or members in your insurance, and if they can nickel and dime you and get $10 out of that 100,000, that's a million dollars that they have just gained in their profit. You know? Yeah. It's, it sucks. And so today, you know, that. And that's how they they do. And that's why you have to be so informed about your care and try to just educate yourself as much as you can before you go to the hospital, before you need the hospital. Yes, absolutely. I am preaching to myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that we, there will be some kind of a shift that's going to happen in the future. I hope so. So, yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for being willing to come and talk to us about this stuff. I I think it's so important, the information that you shared, to just get it out there somewhere so people can try to understand more because the hospital system is so confusing. Like we were saying, like insurance itself is confusing and add that into the hospital. It's just, it's crazy. Well, add that the fact that you are sick. It's the least thing you have to worry about. You just take care of me. That's all. That's what I came here yeah. for. Just take care mm -hmm. of what I came here for. So it is definitely it's hard. Yeah, it's definitely hard. It's a very stressful time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 you know what? I, I have to say that as a case manager, we are going in it knowing that we're not getting the kudos. We're not getting those, uh, <laughs> those certificates of appreciation or, you know, it, it it's, but, if there's something that I can at least ask or impart to everyone who's listening is that we're not bad people. 
promise. We are not here. <laughs> we have good intentions. I feel like I want to say that about everyone that works in healthcare. <laughs> yeah, we are. We have a scope of practice. We are limited to what we are able to do with what what, what our society and our economy or the way our system is. And, and our job, honestly, we are advocates for the patients. We don't see it, mm-hmm. but do believe that we are advocating for you. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you know, what we do is at the end of the day, will help you as opposed to me helping us. Mm-hmm. We're not, I mean, we get paid the same the other way. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's not for us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for being willing to come on here. And I really appreciate you sharing everything that you shared. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's have this conversation going and uh, and hopefully, you know, we can educate our patients and families and and hopefully as a case manager, there's more that I can do for you guys uh, in the future. So hopefully with this platform, we can continually educate you guys and help you and make sure that you get the best care. I'm excited to talk more again sometime because I feel like we brought up so many other things. I think yeah, <laughs> there's just so much to talk about. I think this such this is such a great like we we're thinking like oh maybe we'll th- we'll we'll talk about this but this is such a what is it a Pandora's box of things that we need yeah. to like wow we actually could yeah. come up with a series on this <laughs> yeah royal part one royal part two <laughs> let's do it come on <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Roel was so entertaining, and I feel like he really shed light on some really like important things to know. I feel like we could talk for at least three more episodes and barely break the service on things that you have to know when dealing with insurance. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media at Let's Chat Healthcare, or visit our website for more information, including ways to support the podcast. New episodes are available on the first and third Tuesdays of the month. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time on Let's Chat Healthcare.